And I know it's not much, but nothing else is it for a king except for a heart that sings hallelujah. We're in the book of Ruth, chapter 2, verse 10. And I want to start off this morning by first giving greetings to our family from Nevada, especially to Nolan. Where you at, Nolan? Where you at, Nolan? Say hello, Nolan. <laughs> and his mother, Aurora, and his father, Ryan. Uh, I walked in the door this morning, and Nolan turned around as I walked in, and he gave me such a smile, like an usher. I thought I was visiting somebody else's church. Such a welcoming spirit really just kind of made my day, actually, in some strange way. <clears throat> I told you guys at the beginning of our foray into the Old Testament that I I'm not the best Old Testament preacher because I enjoy the stories of the Old Testament so much that sometimes I feel like it's sacrilege to try to add words to the narratives themselves. I love the Old Testament stories and this particular story, as simple as it is, really touches my heart. Because in looking at Ruth's life and looking back over my own, I can find so many similarities in God's favor, in the way that God has favored me. Just looking at this story of Ruth, and it does my heart such great joy. Rather than preaching about it or finding some points in the text, I would prefer just to talk about the story itself. Thank you, Joe, for having people come this morning and share their testimonies. The great favor of God in the lives of the people in this church and my prayer for all of us is that if you're in a place in your life where you're not experiencing that favor from God, if your days are dark, if you're in trouble, if you have needs that it seems like they're not going to be met, my prayer for you today is that this same favor that God has shown to Ruth, that God would show to you. I shouldn't be here today. I probably shouldn't be alive today. But brothers and sisters, I have tasted of the favor of God for most of my adult life. I have seen God's story of favor toward me play out so many times. Over and over and over again. It is amazing when you are conscious and aware of the love of God in your life. It is an amazing experience. Every time I'm talking to you guys, every time I'm preaching, every time I'm around you, that is my prayer for you constantly, is that you would come to know that favor of God, that rule-breaking, obstacle-moving favor of God. 
For in the kingdom of heaven, it is always yes and amen. Has, it, has anybody experienced this? Where it's always yes and amen. I stand before you today to tell you, before we even get into the message, to declare to you that there is a place in God where the answer is always yes and amen. If I hadn't lived it, I wouldn't say it. I have seen God open doors before me that were so radical and ridiculous, undeserving. God does what he wants to do. And you are a child of a God who can do the impossible. And he will do the impossible for you. That's the story. I could close the book right now and go on, but because of tradition, we have to say some points. So, so, so let's get into the text. But sometimes, I can't stop now. Sometimes the weight of God's favor can be simply overwhelming. Especially during those times where you've been waiting for a breakthrough for a long time. When the light of God's favor finally shines into your life, it can seem overwhelming. <laughs> Being under immense pressure, it causes a person to become rigid. As the mind tries to defend itself from the reality of certain negative experiences and traumas and situations, the mind becomes rigid under pressure, defending itself against collapse. And the longer you live like this, the more normal it seems to you, but it's really not normal at all. We weren't made to live under immense and extreme constant pressure. Anybody know what I mean? You've been working on your job for a few years and you get a new boss who happens not to like you for no apparent reason. He piles too much work on your desk all the time and some days you don't feel like you can make it another day at your job. Just stress, pressure. Stress in your work life that bleeds over into your personal life. And you begin to change because you have to reallocate your emotional energy. Because you need to spend more of your energy and of yourself trying to defend yourself on a job where you feel like you're being crushed to pieces. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? Pressure. And then one day you walk into the office and your manager gives you some bad news that he's quitting or retiring or going to another department. And, and all of a sudden, you just feel this immense relief. You don't show it in front of your boss, of course, but you can literally feel the weight and the pressure begin to lift off of your shoulders. It almost makes you dizzy. You're moving on and I'm moving up. Thank God I survived you. Anybody been in the military knows what it feels like when you're in, when you're in basic training 
and you're going through and you feel like you're living in, the, in Hades. They're getting you up three and four o'clock in the morning and speaking abusively to you and making you run and walk and get down in the mud and obey and all these things and you're under such immense, I remember I was in basic training. I was in basic training back in 1985 before they made the new rules where you have to kind of handle everybody with a kid loves. I was back there when it was real army. And I, I got off of, I got off of the, the cattle truck, they called them cattle trucks, it was a tractor trailer with some windows up top and they get you in there and you're sitting there like cattle, they call it cattle truck. I'm getting off of the cattle truck and I got my little case in my hand and my rucksack on my back and I get to the door to walk off of the cattle truck and the drill sergeant jumped up on the pole and kicked me in the back. Kicked me out of the cattle truck and my, my bag fell this way and my little satchel I had busted open and my personal papers, birth certificate, all of my documents are just flying in the wind all around Fort Lindenwood, Missouri, just flying in the wind. And I'm running around trying to get my papers up, trying to get my papers up. And he's running behind me just cursing me. You better stop littering out here. I'm littering. You, you kicked me. You know? Stop littering on my ground, boy. Get these papers on me. You know, all the things they do. And I'm running around and picking up my papers. And I just cracked and said, oh, God. And he whispered, God's not with you in here, boy. <laughs> you know, I don't think I would have made it through, through basic training had he not said that to me. Because he sounded like a fool. God's not with me. Oh, you just made a big mistake. Because I know I have the favor of God. I may be under pressure, but I know I have favor. And now you've just awakened my faith. Thank you for being so foolish. I stopped running and started walking, picking up my paper. No, no, no. Oh, oh no, you can't insult my God now. We're not going there. That's too much. That's too much. Yeah, man. I'll never forget when I left, he said to me, I was walking out the door, he said, Calvin, I don't think you're going to make it in the military. You just won't break. <laughs> See, I broke, but you brought me back to life. Challenging my God, I'm certain of the favor of God. And when you get out of basic training, that first day you're out, it's just dizzying to be free again. <laughs> because you've been under pressure for 90 days of constant, constant irritation. And you come out and you just feel so relieved. Ruth has been under pressure since the day she left Moab with her mother-in-law. It was her decision to leave. But I'm sure Ruth had no idea just how difficult it was, it was going to be to assimilate into a different society, a different culture, a different way of being. I'm, I'm sure she had no idea what that was gonna be like. The pressure, the trouble that was going to come with it. So her, she and Naomi, her mother-in-law, they, they return to Israel and they have no resources. They have no prospects. And because Ruth is a foreigner, she knows that she won't be accepted by a lot of people because she's from out of town. But by faith and in her wisdom, Ruth seems to understand that she doesn't need to be accepted by a lot of people. All she needs is one. She doesn't need to be accepted by the group. She only needs to be accepted by one person. 
One person who is willing to see beyond her exterior and recognize her humanity. All she needs is one break. And she finds that one break, the text tells us, she found that one break on her first try. As she approached the overseer of Boaz's barley fields, that overseer showed her favor. He gave her permission to, to scavenge the excess barley grains that fall by the wayside. She can walk behind the workers and pick up whatever they leave behind. Favor. But that doesn't sound like a huge favor to me. In fact, to most of us, that doesn't sound like favor at all. Yes, I give you permission to be a dumpster diver. Yeah, sure. Yes, I give you permission to walk around and pick up the waste and pick up the things that we don't want. Yeah, that doesn't sound like great favor. But that was what she asked for. That's not all that she wanted. But in Ruth's estimation, that was as much as she deserved. Just allow me to pick up what falls by the wayside. She could have asked for more. She could have asked for a job. She could have acted entitled. But Ruth seems to be a woman of understanding. And she understands that no one owes her anything. Let me say that again. Ruth understands that no one owes her anything, that no one is responsible for her survival but God. So imagine how surprised she must have been when Boaz invites her to stay in his field and to only scavenge his grain. Imagine how surprised she must have been when he guarantees Ruth protection. Gives her permission to drink from the water that his own servants have drawn. Ruth is blown away. Ruth is overwhelmed. All I asked for was to scavenge some grain and you've given me all these great privileges. Imagine how relieved she must have felt when that great weight of uncertainty, that survival mindset that she had developed over time to keep herself safe, to keep herself sane, imagine the relief that she felt as that mindset began to melt away. And the Bible says that she fell on her face, bowing to the ground. Hi, my name's Ruth. I just want to pick some, pick up the garbage on the sides, pick up the waste that you guys leave behind. Yeah, you can pick it up. And Boaz comes and says, hey Ruth, listen, you can pick up all of that stuff and when you get tired, you can sit in our tents and you can also drink from our water. Is that okay? And Ruth just says, I made it. I found that one person, thank you. Didn't know how I was gonna make it. Anybody ever experienced that? Where you thought you were at your end? And you didn't have any more energy left, no reserves in the banking. Oh, this is it. And from nowhere, God just shows up. Man. I've been there a number of times. It's a great feeling. 
when God shows up and delivers his people. She falls to the ground and she bows to the ground, not in worship, but in shock. (laughs) Sometimes the greatness of God's favor can be so overwhelming. Now, now, some blessings we receive in life, we don't receive because of some favor. It's a fact that if you follow the rules, if you do what you need to do, more than likely you'll have a happy and peaceful existence in the world. If you go to the right school to get trained in some particular field, you're more than likely going to get a job in that field. It's a blessing, but it's not necessarily a sign of favor. Favor is something more. Favor is something different. You did what you needed to do to attain your goal, and you attained your goal. This is the way it should be, and that's the way it works for the most part. It's the normal course of things, but favor, favor, God's favor, is anything but normal. God's favor takes you places and shows you things and gives you experiences above what you are qualified to have. God's favor suspends the rules. God's favor disrupts the status quo. God's favor ignores human protocol. Hmm. Very often to the person that God favors, it seems to make no sense. It seems to make no sense at all. I was a private in Fort Belvoir, Virginia. Some people came down from Washington, D.C. And they wanted some people to uh, sit on a committee for President George H.W. Bush, the first Bush. And I'm a private, and of course I have no shot, no chance of getting anything like that. I didn't even ask. They gave their big speech. And as the guy is walking out of the room, he stops and looks at me. What's your name? Uh, Calvin Robinson, private. Calvin Robinson. I'm nervous. I'm a a kid. You know, yeah, you. I want this one. I want this guy. I want this guy. Huh? What just, what just? That's his God. You got sergeants, staff sergeants, all these people in here who are certain I'm going to be on the committee. Of course, obviously. And he looks at me. I want this guy. No reason, just doesn't make any sense. No sense. And, I, and I'm up in Washington, D.C. doing what they need me to do and sitting on these different committees to get ready for the inauguration and everything. And I have no idea how in the world did this happen. That's that crazy favor I'm talking about. I'm not talking about regular stuff. Just radical favor. When God just says, you know what, man, I like you. I like you. You've experienced that, huh? You know what I'm talking about. All right, all right, all right. When God just says, I like you, I'm going to just do this because I like you. Man, I could tell so many stories about that. That's why I'm having such a hard time preaching. I could just tell so many stories about this. My whole life has been like this. I want your lives to be like this. I want you to experience this. I'm praying for it. And if you believe it, I believe God's going to do it in this season for you. Just crazy favor.
God's favor is anything but normal. And very often to the person that God God favors, it makes no sense. Just like Boaz's generosity makes no sense to Ruth. She can't wrap her mind around what is happening. And so she asked the question, why? (laughs) I wouldn't have asked that question, but she's overwhelmed. Why have I found favor in your sight? That you should take notice of me. I'm a foreigner. She's trying to talk herself out of the blessing. Why? Have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me? I'm a foreigner. Why? This, brothers and sisters, is a demonstration of humility. This is a demonstration of humility. You see, humility, even if God is favoring you, humility does not assume any special position. Humility does not assume any special status. In fact, I'm going to tell you a secret. Humility is always uncertain of its value. Write that one down. I'll explain it more. Humility is always uncertain of its true value. You've you've heard the story, Jesus' story, where he talks about the man invited to the wedding. And he comes in to the the wedding feast and uh, he, he chooses the seat all the way in the back, the lowest, least important seat in the whole place. He just chooses this seat. And we read that story and we think to ourselves, you see, he was humble, see? He knew that he has no value and he, he knows where he is and he knows what he's about and he knows he doesn't deserve it. Actually, that's not the case. This guy could have been very confident in himself. You know what he didn't do? He simply did not assume any special privilege because he didn't know where the groom wanted him to sit. He didn't think less of himself. Let's get this straight. He did not think less of himself. He did not think, I don't deserve anything. I don't, that's not humility. That's just low self-esteem. And, and, and people come to church very often with this low self-esteem, and we think that's humility when actually, no, that's a problem. You should esteem yourself. You should have dignity. You should think well of yourself. But you should simply never assume that you have any special place or status in the kingdom of God. Always take the lowest place, not because that's what you deserve, but as a confession to God, I don't know where I fit. Put me wherever you'd like. That's humility. (laughs) I know I must be important. You, You invited me to the feast. I know I must be important, but I don't know how important. I don't know what my value is. So I'm just gonna sit all the way back here, Jesus. And if you decide, no, Calvin, I wanted you in the middle, just come and get me. I'll, I'll go to, I'll, I'll sit anywhere you want me to sit. But I'm not gonna assume. I'm not gonna assume because of my social status. I'm not gonna assume because of my education. I'm not gonna assume because of my job. I'm not going to assume anything. And every day when I get out of my bed, I'm going to start back over from zero and allow God to put me where he wills. Huh? That's humility. Some days God may sit you high, but don't get used to that.
because next day you may want to sit you low. Are you flexible enough? Or do you think that you've come to a place where you deserve? Uh, I've been preaching since I was 28 years old. I don't assume that I deserve anything. Every day I start over again from zero. God, you put me where you'd like for me to be. Because my interest is not my own. My interest is yours. <laughs> I'm just here to serve you in whatever capacity, whether that's mopping the floor, being an usher at the door, being in chill, wherever it is. I, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter to me. I don't need to be in the limelight. I need you, Jesus, to be in the limelight. Whatever I need to do to make that happen, that's what we're going to do. That's humility. Ruth is humbled. Why me? Why have I found favor in your sight that you would take notice of me? Humility is my conscious decision to allow God and, and to allow others to assign value to me and to treat me accordingly. I am not too important to mop the floor and I am not too low to lead the group. As far as I know, I am an average person worthy of average treatment, nothing special. That sounds exactly opposite to what they're teaching our children in these schools today. The message society is trying to send. The world is telling our children exactly the opposite. You are special. You are the best. You are the greatest. You deserve. You're just so good and so nice and so special. Hmm. Now, and if that's their opinion of you, child, young person, then by all means, allow them to treat you that way. But do not internalize anyone else's assessment of your value. Do not internalize another person's opinion of who you are. That's just their opinion. Be grateful, but stay sober-minded. Don't let people inflate you. Don't allow people to deflate you. Don't allow people's insults or their compliments to move you one way or another. Remain grounded in the truth of God's word and be sober-minded. Because, because, no one truly knows who you are and no one truly knows what you are worth. Only God. And as Ruth is learning from this experience, God values her much more than she could have ever imagined. Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Boaz replies to her, listen, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. I know who you are. I know what you've done. And at first glance, it sounds like what he's saying is, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful for what you did for Naomi after her husband died and she was, in she was grieving and she was in bereavement and you, you took care of her, you, her, you did a very good job. But that's not what he said. Boaz is praising 
what Tahira said a while ago. Boaz is praising Ruth's selflessness. He says to her, even after your own husband had died, even while the pain was still fresh in your mind, you turned away from yourself and your own need for consolation and you chose to console Naomi. This is a sign of greatness. <laughs> this is a sign of greatness. When I can turn away from my own impending needs, my own imminent troubles, and I can turn away from myself and turn toward someone else. When I need a healing, I busy myself in healing someone else. Even while you were wounded, Naomi, you chose to heal someone else instead of yourself. This is a sign of greatness. And not only that, not only were you in emotional pain and turmoil, but you also left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and you came to a people that you did not previously know. I heard about you, Ruth. You have a reputation. You have a reputation of putting other people before yourself. She served others when her own needs were not being met. That's a sign of greatness, a wounded healer. A wounded healer. And he says this to her. This is his prayer for her. May the Lord reward your work. And may your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May the Lord reward your work. And may your wages be full. Ruth was not aware of the fact, and maybe you're not aware of this fact, that God rewards people who serve those in need. God rewards people who serve those in need. I'm not just speaking in the afterlife of getting some reward. God rewards people in this life when they serve and when they help and when they bless others. There are kingdom incentives to serving the least among us. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 40, Jesus declares it, that the one who receives you receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and the one who receives a righteous person in the name of a righteous person shall receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones just a cup of cold water to drink in my name, truly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his Reward. There are kingdom incentives to serving. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus says this, give, and it will be given to you. They will pour out into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, 
it will be measured to you in return. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. That's an incentive to give. That's an incentive to serve. That's an incentive to help and to bless and to make yourself available to this broken world. Jesus promises that by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. That's the incentive. But that is also the warning. And what is the warning? The warning is this, that God is going to assess you the way that you assess others. That God is going to assess you and God is going to value you the way that you value others. That should give everybody in this room some pause. That should give everybody some pause. That God is going to reward you in accordance to the way that you have blessed others. This wasn't a new principle when Jesus said it. And we can see here in the book of Ruth that this has always been a kingdom principle, that God rewards the generous soul that God gives back to you as much as you give away and much more. We don't like to talk about these things because of the, the, the whole faith movement, you know, say it by faith and give me $100 and God will give you 1000 back and it's become such a transactional thing that we don't talk about it very much, but it's king, this is a kingdom principle. God rewards the generous soul. But God does not always reward in kind Ruth sold into Naomi companionship, encouragement, and love, and God is paying her back in barley grain. <laughs> Why? Because that's what she needs. He doesn't always pay in kind, but he pays you back with the thing that you need the most. What do you need? What do you need? I, I, Start giving, start being more generous with your time, start serving somebody else. What do you need? <laughs> if you set your affection, turn your attention on other people that are in need, God will turn his attention toward you. He already, he's already watching you. But there are rewards and incentives in the kingdom of God. And if you follow kingdom principles, God will begin to supply your needs according to his own riches and glory in ways that you could have never imagined. He says, Ruth, you've been faithful. Ruth, you've been selfless. Ruth, you've sacrificed. I know your story. And by the way, that's what every minister is a minister, every member is a minister, that concept. That's what it's all about. Every member in this church should be a minister. Every member in this church should be a servant. You don't have to wait for the whole body to come together for us to go and feed the hungry as a group. Go feed the hungry by yourself. You don't need a team to go feed the hungry. 
Stop by McDonald's, get 20 sandwiches, and go give them away to somebody. What is the plan? That's the plan. That is the plan. Go to work. Help somebody, serve somebody, bless somebody. It's not complicated. Well, to what end, Pastor? What is the big idea of all? There is no big idea. The big idea is that when you begin to live by kingdom principles, these blessings and this favor that I'm describing to you will become yours. Then you'll understand that it's not just about you working. It's not just about you serving. It's not just about what you're giving. What you're doing is you're accessing the favor of God. Maybe a lot of your problems aren't being answered because you're not helping anybody else. Because your hands are closed. Because you have no compassion for others. Maybe it's just that you're sitting in, and you're drowning in your own self-pity and you are not aware of the hurts and the pains and the needs that are all around you. It's all about you and yours. Maybe that's why your needs aren't being met. Because God is simply measure, giving back the measure to you that you have measured out to others. If no one is important but you, then God says, okay, I'm going to treat you the way that you treat others. Something to think about. But this whole concept, this big idea is completely new to Ruth. Ruth has never heard this before, that God is demonstrating his love for her through Boaz. She doesn't get that concept. And so she responds in verse 13, I have found favor in your sight. You're talking about God and God blessing. No, no, no. I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not like one of your female servants. No, she missed the whole point, but she's a baby and that's okay. She is unable as yet to see beyond the veil. She's unable as yet to discern that God is the giver of every good and every perfect gift. And they all come down from the Father of light. She can't, she can't catch that right now. So she attributes God's goodwill to Boaz. No, Boaz, it's you who's doing these wonderful things for me. You are the one who has, say, has spoken kindly to me, even though I'm a foreigner. And Boaz doesn't even take the time to get into theological dispute. <laughs> <laughs> he understands where she is. You're a babe. You don't understand yet. But as you get older, you'll begin to realize that God uses his people to stand in his stead and to represent him to one another. That's, that's all Boaz is doing. Boaz is a man of God. And Boaz is only doing what God has impressed upon his heart to do. The blessing is truly coming from God, and that, and that, I, when I get those 20 sandwiches from M McDonald's and, and Burger King or whatever, whatever your favorite thing is, those 20 burgers from the, from the store, and I'm passing them out, I'm not passing them out in my own name. I am saying that God is concerned about your health and your well-being. This is not for me. This is from God. We are the representative of Jesus Christ in the world. We are. And we give in his name and we serve in his name. And he gets the credit. But when somebody says, no, not God, you gave me this, Eric, thank you so much. I'm not going to get into a theological dispute about it, brother. God bless you. God bless you.
Because had I my way, I wouldn't have given you that sandwich. I'm kind of hungry myself, actually. <laughs> but God likes you. That's all Boaz has done. God likes you. So he says, I want God to bless you and prosper you and reward you. And so I'm going to reward you in his stead. I'm going to represent his feelings for you by being a blessing. Homeless person knocking on the window, drunk, asking for some money, talking about he needs a sandwich, and I know he wants some alcohol. I can tell by the way his hands are shaking. Do I give him the money? Do I not? Well, it all depends. If God just wants to say hello, yeah, I'm going to give him some money. <laughs> because God just wants to say hello. I don't care what you're doing. That's not my concern. I just want you to know that God's providence is not beyond you. That God has you in mind. That he reigns on the just as well as the unjust. That he likes you. I tell people that all the time. To confuse looks. Man, God likes you. Yeah, love is great, but God also likes your company. Homeless man with no, yes, he likes his company too. God is no respect of persons. <laughs> That's all Boaz has done, is shown her that, that, listen, God has you. He has your back, he got you, and he likes you. And he approves of your selfless service to Naomi. And so Ruth is sitting here overwhelmed and amazed and blown away by all that has happened so far. But wait, there's more. There's more. At mealtime, Boaz says to her, come here, that you may eat of the bread and dip your pieces of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and Boaz served her roasted grain. This is just getting better and better. I can glean from the field. I can drink water and sit in your tents. Thank you so much. Oh, come and have dinner with me. Just have a seat, Ruth. What is going on? Everything is changing so fast. I'm sure her mind is blown. I came out the door this morning empty. <laughs> and God is just filling me up. He serves her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied. And she even had some left. Ruth has gone from being a beggar in a field to being a VIP guest at his table. And that's how God does things when he decides to show you favor. It just gets better and better. God is turning Ruth's life completely around in a single day. God can turn your situation around in a single day. Who wants to walk in that kind of favor? We all would like to walk in this kind of favor. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Verse 15, when she got up to glean, to go back to her job, to make her money, Boaz commanded his servant saying, listen, let her glean even among the sheaves, not just on the ground. She's not a scavenger. She's not a dog. I think very highly of her. Let her glean from the sheaves. Let her pick the grain off of the sheaves if she wants to. Do not insult her. Also, you are to purposely slip out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it so that she may glean 
and do not rebuke her. Whoa. She's already amazed. Now she's even more amazed because this favor is over the top. That's what I'm praying for you, brothers and sisters, that you would receive some over-the-top kind of favor where God just adds more and more blessings and adds more and more blessings until you realize, until you become conscious that it's his hand that is doing it, that he just keeps on blessing you, that he just keeps on opening doors for you. Hmm. If you'll just be grateful, not feel entitled, if you'll just be humble and be diligent in what God has called you to do, if you'll just be, take the lowest seat, if you'll just become selfless, then verse 17 and verse 18 give us the final ingredient to how we are to secure, how we are to maintain the favor of God. The Bible says, verse 17, that she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she picked it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she also took some out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. Ruth was generous. She shared the blessing with her mother-in-law. Her generosity is not to the point of sacrifice. No, no, no. It says that, that she gave her some after she herself was satisfied. That's a responsible thing to do. Don't want to go overboard with it. And so, so she, she is not sacrificial, but it's just generosity. It's important that we share the favor of God with others who may not be as well off. It is important that we share the grace of God, the favor of God, with other people and don't hoard it all for ourselves. And as we prove ourselves to be generous toward others, God will continue to restore our bounty so that we always have to give. And this is the way we should respond to the inexplicable favor of our God. We should be grateful, we should be humble, we should be diligent, and we should be generous. My prayer for us today, my prayer for every one of us is we'll begin to prove ourselves to be faithful over a few things so that God will make us ruler over many things. That God would restore our baskets and restore all that we need. Some of us don't need a physical blessing. Some of us don't need a material blessing. Some of us need an emotional blessing. Some of us need a mental break. Some of us need to restore some relationships. Some of us need to be delivered from, from past trauma that we've, whatever it is that you need, give. And it will be given back to you. Take your eyes off of yourself and look around you because you're not the only one that is suffering. You are not the only one who is in pain. This whole world is groaning. And God is saying, listen, I got your back, man. Don't worry about your problems. I, I got your back. Go out there and serve others in my name, and I'll take care of your personal business back home. He does it just like that. He does it just like that. He'll do that for you. And that is our prayer. Let's pray. Father God, we stand in awe 
your favor, amazed by the very idea that you like us, that you enjoy our company. Who are we that you have noticed us? We confess today that we do not know who we are and we do not know what our true value is. All we are certain of is that we are your sons and your daughters, that you're our Father, that Jesus Christ our Lord is our King. That's all we know. We are willing to be, Lord God, and to become whatever you call us to be, whatever you call us to become. We humble ourselves before you now. We don't feel entitled. We don't feel like we deserve anything, but we ask for your grace. We ask for your special mercy. We thank you for all that you've done for us, every way that you've made, every opportunity that you have provided, every good and perfect gift that has come to us from your hand. Be glorified in our lives. Be glorified in our lifestyles. Give us hearts of compassion and generosity toward others. And bless us indeed. Not only with material blessings, but with more freedom. Freedom in your spirit. Freedom in our minds. Freedom in our emotions. Joy unspeakable that's filled with glory. Peace that passes all understanding. Hear our prayer today. And show us your kindness just as you did when you allowed your only begotten son to die on Calvary's cross. What great love, what great generosity you've shown toward us. And because of this, we are confident that whatever we need and whatever we desire from you, your answer is yes and amen. And we thank you in advance for all that you're going to do. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.